Welcome to Two Pastors, Take a Walk, and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. I almost forgot for a moment. It's been... And we were saying that um, before we started recording that since who knows when we will ever be able to meet and take a run or a walk again, that perhaps for the duration of this pandemic, we should change the name of this podcast to... Two pastors have a drink and make a podcast because I, on Friday evening of this first week of back to school season, am having a drink. <laughs> so <laughs> we need to have this podcast, um, make this podcast quickly <laughs> so that all I is think well. we should linger. We should yeah. linger. Yeah, it's, it is. It is what it is. So friend, what is astonishing you this week? Well, what is astonishing me? I, well, let me let me say up front, I know, I know, I know, I know this is going to sound a bit cheesy, even a bit corny, but I am surprised by joy. Earlier today, I I just had this surge of joy and I'm astonished by it because like so many people these days, I'm living with a sustained and elevated level of stress and um, I'm tired, physically, emotionally tired, mentally. There's There's a fog often. I have a hard time thinking my way clear uh, many days. Um, I'm still wrestling with the weight of racism and police brutality in our society. Um, I'm I'm still um, especially struggling with the murder of Breonna Taylor. Um, I know you're from Louisville. You grew up in Louisville. I lived there for six years and had issues with the police there. And so I'm, I'm wrestling with that. And um, there, there is, there's trauma for me there that I've mentioned on this podcast before. Also, I'm, I'm just really angry at our government's response to COVID. It's just infuriating. But in spite of all of that, today I feel a sense, a surge of, of joy. And I'm, I'm just truly astonished by it. It seemed to come, um, I don't want to say out of the blue, because I know it's from the Holy Spirit, but I was surprised by it. Um, you'll remember that in 2019, our church theme was joy. I preached a lot about joy. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I think those seeds that were planted then are bearing fruit because, you know, of course, joy is not a feeling tied to circumstances. In part, our church, you know, as we were studying, talking about joy, we defined it as gladness of soul 
that comes from a relationship with God in which you anticipate good from God in spite of your current circumstances. So no matter what it looks like, you know that good is coming. So I know even though things right now are not good, they're not good. There's, there's lots of things to stress me and others. Even though things are not good, I have a sense today that good is coming because God is good. And yeah. I'm truly surprised by um, a joy. And I know that, you know, uh, what's the scripture? Um, the joy of the Lord is your strength, right? Yeah. That's a nice slogan for your coffee mug. And it's a nice slogan for your t-shirt until you're at a place when you really need mm-hmm. the strength that comes from joy. And I have been in that place. Um, you and I have talked outside of this podcast about my own wrestling with, you know, um, uh, let me just name it, the depression of dealing once again with this racist society and the nightmare of having to navigate uh, American racism. And yet here I am in this place of great hope because I know um, that God is still on the throne. So yeah, you I'm know, surprised la- by joy. Last week when, I think it was last week, um, we were preaching about praising God. And one of the parts of the sermon that I really liked, you know, just talking about we praise God, not because of how things are going in our lives, but we praise God because of who God is. And so if we believe that God is good, then we never have a reason not to praise. Like if you don't know God is good, then you never have a reason to praise. But if you do believe that God is good, you never have a reason not to praise because no matter what is happening in the circumstances of your life, God is still good. And I think that's the kind of thing that, um, you know, at, at certain points in your journey, I mean, honestly, I think early in your journey, when, when you have often a really transactional relationship with God, then you brush the surface of that and you're like, well, if my life isn't going well, then God isn't good. Um, and I think you, you grow, um, deeper in your understanding of who the Lord is and how God works and what God is doing in the world. And you understand that, um, you know, people, uh, who love God and who are loved by God suffer deeply, both in just their humanity and in their picking up their cross and following Jesus. And so even in the midst of that undeserved suffering, God is good and there's reason to praise. And I, you know, that's just something that I think, I mean, it's important to plant those seeds, even if people sort of understandably skeptically dismiss it as kind of a logical fallacy, there just comes a space in your life where you realize that I am I am for the things that God is for, even when those values don't appear to be working together for good in my life. Even when it appears that abandoning those values and standing against the work of God would bring more pleasure or power into my life, I am for the things that God is for. And I find them worthy of my praise, regardless of my circumstances. And like, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying like, I believe that God will save me from the fiery furnace. But even if not, 
if I'm not, not praising your God. Like yeah. I'm not like these values, these system, I'm not for them, even if they'd save my neck. And I think that that joy, honestly, is not a joy that we want early in our Christian journey because we just want more, you know, more help, more blessing. Um, and, you know, those things come to us, but they're not the, you know, but we're in this world anyway. So I, I, I'm happy because I think it's really hard right now for lots of people. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's hard in a different way as I think it always is in this country. If you are a person who lives in a body with black skin. And I think, you know, those of us who, who want to be allies and want to love and want to be friends, like just have to recognize that um, as, as much as I care about what's happening and as much as I'm committed to trying to be a disruptor, like it doesn't, as much as it really grieves me and disturbs my peace, I, it's, it's not my, I can't carry that burden in the same way that you do, even if I, even if I wanted to. So I am. Yeah. Grateful. I'm amazed. I'm amazed as a black person that I truly believe in and follow Jesus right through, through slavery, Jim Crow, yeah. now Trumpism, right? We are people. And, and some could see that as simply, okay, the Christianity as the opiate of the people. Mm-hmm. But if you take a real look at the faith of, of black Christians it is a trust in God, a trust in Jesus that transcends circumstances that is always um, given the strength, not only to endure the present moment, but to fight for something better. And, right. And I think like, if you read, like, if you don't, if you know more about Jesus than what you hear from marketplace Christianity, then you see what's happening in this historical moment in our nation. And you see that like, this is the human condition. Like Mm -hmm. this is not, it's horrific. It's evil, but it is not unique. Like I, in fact, I really like um, Eugene Peterson. um, And I, and I'm reading a, a book of his on Ephesians practicing resurrection with two small groups in my church right now. And I really, I think it's great. Just really helps people get in in, in, in deep in the text. Um, but, and I, I very rarely find anything that I want to argue with him about, but the other day in this book, he, he was, he, he made some sort of offhand reference about how, you know, 2000 years of Christendom have come to this moment. And now essentially like things are going badly wrong. And I wanted to be like, Oh, Eugene, now Mm. Eugene, Mm. was there, 2000 years of Christendom that I just missed along the way. No, no, sir. No, sir. Like things are badly, badly wrong. But I do not believe that this moment in human history is better or worse than any moment in human history for powerless people. And I think it's really important to know that so you don't lose heart, that this is the battle against powers and principalities that God and God's people have been fighting since I mean, really, since the very, very beginning. And so um, it's just important to kind of have a sober judgment about that. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, When this pandemic first started, I heard um, N.T. Wright say, and it's been a while since I mentioned N.T. Wright, so here we go. I know. I heard N.T. Wright say, hey, let's not lose our minds. 
you know, because people yeah. are asking, you know, um, is God angry? Is God doing this? Is God doing mm-hmm. that? It's like, let's not lose our minds because pandemics have been happening throughout history. Correct. The Western world has shielded us from mm-hmm. a lot of things that the rest of the world goes through on, on a fairly regular basis. And we have thought we were just the exception or beyond that or those kinds of things right. happening more. And so now that it's happening to us, um, we're we crying really foul. Have, yes, we don't have a framework for really dealing yeah. with it. Well, and I think um, I remember after the results of the last presidential election, and I really um, lost heart for a few days because I just did not. Yeah, I remember walking with you during that time. (laughs) I I mean, I just was real. I was really in um, despair. I I really, um, which I mean, you can justly charge that to naivete or what I mean, whatever. But I just really, I really lost my my compass. And I just remember you saying to me, Kate, my people have been through worse. (laughs) I I mean, I, I. I mean, and it was just helpful for me to realize like part of the reason that I was so undone by um, the election results is, I mean, A, I think I had um, just, you know, unrealistic expectations and illusions about who, you know, who the majority of Americans were and sort of where we were um, with our values as a country that I think had I been born without white skin, I would not have had that illusion to lose. so, I mean, it just, you know, when, when you have moments of disillusionment, they're disorienting. Um, and it was just helpful for you to sort of say, you know, I, I, <laughs> I find my way to walk through this world with hope and strength and gladness, having no illusion about how the people of this nation have always seen me and people who are like me. And, and yet that's not the only true thing. And it doesn't undo the power and promise of the gospels. And so that's, you know, that's helpful. So. Well, and I'll just add to that, um, that there are varying degrees of not having any illusions about our society, you know, as a, as a middle-class African-American and one who has the privilege of being first in some spaces, the first black person this, the first black person to do that, you can develop develop the illusion that um, things are different. And uh, this kind of season either will reinforce and make you drill down deeper uh, into that illusion, or you'll go through a painful process of having your eyes opened. Mm-hmm. Yep. So what's astonishing you on this Friday? Well, um, so I had this beautiful, beautiful experience. Um, so I, and my birthday was last Sunday. What? I turned 45. Um, and I Happy birthday. Really, thank you. Thank you. Um, so I really, um, I really had very low and I think realistic expectations about what a birthday, in, you know, is in general and um, particularly in the middle of a pandemic. Um, mm. But I, I have this long-standing discomfort with churches um, who center their pastor in 
the worship moment. <laughs> so like, mm-hmm. I really, and part of that, I think is a cultural thing. Like I understand that I'm really blessed to um, pastor a church where people do come from other traditions where honoring the pastor is a way of honoring the community. And I, and I understand that. Um, and I'm just really privileged that, um, people would call me their pastor period. Um, but it just makes me uncomfortable because I, I really, um, think it's important that for my, for the health of our community, that it's just very clear at all the time that I have a role to play and it might be different than other people's roles, but it's not more important than other people's roles. And that, I mean, I have gifts and talents for ministry, um, but, but those gifts and talents are not the thing that makes our church what it is. Um, and, and anyway, and that especially when we gather for worship on Sunday mornings, like. Whoops, you muted sorry. your mic. <laughs> I, I accidentally muted myself. Um, anyway, so when I looked at the 2020 calendar and I saw that my birthday happened to fall on a Sunday this year, you know, wait, whatever, back in October, when I was making our worship plan for the year, I was like, oh gosh, what am I going to do? Because I don't want people like, I don't want people singing happy birthday to me in the middle of worship. Like I don't uh-uh. want that Sunday to become, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love attention. So anywhere else that anyone wants to stop what they're doing and tell me, sing happy, like, I'm cool with that. I love it. Make a big deal out of me. Um, but I really didn't want that to happen on Sunday morning in a way that, you know, whatever. And so the one thing that I thought, well, like <laughs> it's a heavy price to pay but I'm, but at least I won't have to worry about anything happening in worship on my birthday because it is like, we're producing worship. It's a closed thing. Like people can write happy birthday in the chat and that's fine. Blah, blah, blah. So I'm, I'm watching the um, worship on Sunday morning and, and the, the sermon is over and I give the benediction. And then um, my friend, Rachel, who's our ministry coordinator, who is just the gift from God that keeps on giving like the, you know, the words come up and she usually ends it with some pictures of people in the congregation. And so that we can see people's faces and what's happening in our communities. And, and it usually says, go in peace, go in love. And this week it said, go in peace, go in love, dot, 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 and birthday cake. And then she had invited people unbeknownst to me to record like little 10 second videos, like saying oh, happy nice. birthday and singing happy birthday. And, and so like, I'm just like, whatever, sitting there thinking. And then all of a sudden, like just this flood of faces and voices and people saying they love me. And I just was, I was so surprised. Um, and I was so moved because I am the happiest pastor anyone knows. And this is my dream church. And I love my people so much, so much. And I miss them so much being together so much and like, just to see their faces and to have that moment of, um, them. It just like, I was just on the floor. Like I was so overwhelmed. Um, and I, I just was astonished at, I mean, at how good, how good it is to be a part of the body of Christ and to be loved by people that the world says, you know, we don't, we don't belong to one another and we can't relate to one another and we can't overcome the things that divide us and the trauma that, you know, has, is being done and has been done. And just, I mean, it just feels like such unspeakable grace to be church 
together and to be loved by this church. Um, so I just, it's not like I've forgotten how, what a miracle that is. Um, but I just was astonished at the force of being reminded and seeing people's faces and honestly, like a little foretaste of what it will be like when this ends and it will end. And, um, so anyway, I just, um, am re really, really happy to be alive and astonished, um, not only that God loves me, but that God's love makes it possible to, to be loved by one another and to really love one another. And so it's just, it's just good. So that wow. is what I'm marveling wow. at. That is pretty wonderful. Wow. It is well, really nice. You know, when you and I were um, first thinking about doing this podcast and what kind of uh, format um, we would have, and we decided that we would share, you know, what was astonishing us, because that's kind of, that was just kind of the norm for us in our mm -hmm. walking and talking without it being planned. And, um, you know, we always said that uh, being astonished was about being surprised by the goodness of God. Mm -hmm. And that, um, you know, it's, it is there. And so it just mm -hmm. sounds like um, uh, you were overwhelmed by the surprise of God through the people at the Grove this week. Well, and I just think it's, I mean, one of the things in all transparency, um, you know, one of the things that's been so valuable about our friendship to both of us is, um, I mean, being human is hard and being a pastor is a special, a particular kind of hard, not, I don't think worse than being a bus driver or being a school teacher, but it's a particular kind of being hard. And so you get together with people who whose lives look like yours or do the kind of work that you do in the world. And it's really easy um, and, and cathartic to talk about what's wrong with someone who understands um, in a way that maybe somebody else wouldn't because, you know, they don't, they don't have a life that looks like yours in that particular way. And, and one of the things that I think is really um, dangerous about being a pastor and being friends with other pastors, because it can just be like, we all know people who just get together and what they do is just talk about what's wrong and what's wrong and what's wrong. And, yes. you know, what's wrong with the denomination and what's wrong with the um, adjudicatory bodies and what's wrong with the members and the elders and the whatever. And like, there's certainly an important place for naming what's wrong. Um, but what's wrong is not the only thing that's real. And there's a point after which naming what's wrong is no longer empowering, it's paralyzing. And so I think, mm -hmm. you know, we, like part of what has been helpful about our friendship is we we have really covenanted that, not that we never do that, but that, you know, we, we're just aware of those ruts um, and, and, and being astonished by where God shows up in the middle of the hard is a really important thing and it won't happen spontaneously. And if you wait for, if you wait for it, to just bubble up. I mean, sometimes you'll be waiting a long time. So I think, um, I just think it's a good discipline, especially if you're somebody who wants to be really intentional about um, opposing powers and principalities of darkness and disrupting systems. It's really important that you look for 
signs of the goodness of God and the power of God and what God is doing. Otherwise, you you just become overwhelmed. And like I think your vision gets focused by gets shaped more by what you're fighting against absolutely than what you're fighting for. And so just naming that like it is possible no matter what, even in the midst of a community, it is even in the midst of a pandemic to be part of a community where people not perfectly but intentionally practice loving one another and celebrate loving one another as they love God like that's possible and that's powerful and we need to say so so yeah so what are you thinking about what am I thinking about well this week um, our child Matthew in the first grade started school um, and uh, the plan was that he would have one day in the building and the rest would be remote at home. After three days, uh, the school announced that there was um, uh, some COVID cases. Um, I think right now they've, they've only said among staff. Yeah. And so that the school was going all remote and it's been stressful. It was stressful, number one, that first day when he got out of the car with his little mask on and walked into the building as a parent who is a bit of a helicopter parent. And it was so hard to have my brain tell the muscles in my legs to press the gas pedal yeah. to drive off. I mean, it was really hard, but we did it. And um, he made it home and he could not wait to go back. He was disappointed that he was gonna have me as his teacher the next day, right? And so now to adjust again to fully remote has been stressful. But I've been thinking about um, people who are single parents with school-aged children. I'm blessed to have a spouse. We tag team. Her schedule is less flexible than mine, but still we tag team. My schedule as a pastor is fairly flexible. And so mm -hmm. as stressful as all of this is, I'm blessed. We, we are doing this. It's hard, mm -hmm. but we're doing it. And the other day, I thought about uh, a friend of mine who is a single mom. And I thought, I, I have no idea how, how, she's, how, how she's able to get yeah. things done, especially in our society now in which so many of us live away from family, like yeah. closest family for us is four and a half hours away. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we haven't lived in that, in this neighborhood that long. So we're not really super close with our neighbors. I'm just thinking if you're single, trying to do this with a little one, how hard that must be. And so I have decided to add to my prayer list, single parents in this season, you know, I've been praying, you know, for people, um, who are unemployed, people who are on the front lines protesting, um, 
and I've just been brokenhearted this week for single parents because I cannot, um, you know, one of the things that, that crosses my mind is, okay, what if, what if one of us gets COVID and passes away? It's like, well, at least there's another parent. If mm-hmm. you're, and, and, you know, I, I think about, I certainly don't want to leave my child, you know, right. Why so young, but there's, you know, I have, I have a partner. I'm thinking if you're a single parent, the, the weight of thinking about, okay, I, I have to survive. Yeah. I, I just, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm just thinking about single parents um, uh, this week. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I do think, because um, that's our situation too. Our closest family is eight hours away. Mm-hmm. And so um, we, we, again, we are incredibly, our pandemic is lots easier than so many people's because Colin and I both um, can work from home and his schedule is not very flexible, but mine is. Mm-hmm. Um, and just lots of reasons that this is easier for us than it is for so many people. Um, but I mean, it, it's interesting because this week, um, one of the things that I've been doing is I, I plan to put my youngest back in preschool and um, instead kind of at the last minute um, got together with two other families in the church to think like maybe we would just pool our resources and, um, um, and, and do kind of a pandemic preschool in the home, which obviously lessens our, I mean, our daughter carries exposure. Um, but I mean, it's, it's trickier, right? Like it's trickier, um, to get the logistics of that figured out and to really articulate kind of, you know, create a space where we can be bravely honest about, what we need and what, what needs of one another we can meet and which ones we can't and and how we'll covenant to, um, you know, make choices that keep not just our own family safe, but other people's families safe. And it it just, it was challenging and it was challenging to do it on a tight schedule. Um, and, and honestly like risky because if it doesn't work out, like these aren't, this isn't a business I'm contracting with. These are, these are friends and people that really matter to me. And, um, and Colin and I were, were talking about it and, you know, he was sort of saying like, I mean, is this like, you know, are you sure you, we want to do this? Like, it's lots harder. You have to drive lots farther. The hours are shorter. And if it goes wrong, like it's a really big thing. And I'm like, well, but I mean, these are our values. Like our values are, to bear one another's burdens, not just when it costs us nothing and when it's convenient, but, but at all times. And I mean, and none of us in this family are single parents, but I mean, just in real ways, we could serve one another and serve our kids and bear one another's burdens and fill in one another's gaps. But, um, but it's really interesting. I mean, and and I'm, the connection for me is obviously like as a single parent, one of the things that the body of Christ can be is, you know, is a, is a partner to people. Extended who, family. Correct. Who, who really need that. But I think sometimes what stops us is um, the fear that if it goes wrong, like if the stakes are too high, if it goes wrong. And it was just interesting because we, we spent, you know, three days having really intense conversations about 
especially about risk levels and like what kinds of choices we were going to make when we were apart from one another because our kids and so through our kids we'd all be exposed to everybody's everything and and they were hard conversations to have um and and so you know then you're going to try this thing and you're like oh I don't know if it's going to work and what will happen and it was just interesting that one of my friends one of the other moms afterwards was like gosh I this has been so much better than I thought it could be and it and she said it reminds me of that verse that like it's it's far more than I ever could have hoped or imagined and she was just saying like it's been a long time since since that promise felt real in my life and I just thought like part of the thing is we can't bear one another's burdens if if we're not willing to kind of entangle our lives in ways that are risky healthy and safe but risky right and love is risky and I think a lot of times you know especially if there's a if there's a single parent in your faith community that you know I mean to have a conversation about what kind of help can you need can, you know can I provide that like can we be honest about what our expectations are what will go wrong? I mean it's even it's even hard to have the conversation because once you have the conversation you become um you know, it's just a different level of emotional obligation. If someone says, this is what I need. And you say, okay, sorry, I can't meet that need. But still, I mean, we can't love without, without taking those kinds of risks. And I think um, there are a lot of people that I think God wants to provide for through the body of Christ that can't happen because we are trying to live our individual lives and then come together on Sundays. Um, And that's not, the witness of scripture like that's not the model of the early church so anyway that's what your story makes me think of wow so. that's good so what are you thinking about oh you know so many things i guess the one thing that i wanted to share is um we're having a really um informal discussion with folks in the church because i'm reading um ibram x kendi's how to be an anti-racist which is a book that you and i have actually discussed some of the themes of it in, in, in true fashion, we've discussed it without, before either of us had read it, right? Just some of the terms and especially the term anti-racist and just kind of what, and um, so anyway, I, I have, um, I have actually started doing the reading and Matt and was just talking with people. I mean, I'm certainly not teaching it. It's just, we're just talking about it together. Um, And I, I really appreciate it. And you and I talked about this a little bit earlier in the day. Um, And I don't want to, I mean, I certainly don't want to try to um, replicate his arguments, um, but it's just a lot of it that really resonated with me because I think his reframing of the issues of racism um, and and sort of establishing these three categories of racist, not racist, and anti-racist and um, and how he understands racism as a system and not as a character flaw that like racism isn't an it, it, it's it's a system of thoughts and structures in our country and if someone is racist that's not necessarily a statement of their hateful hearts it's a it's a descriptive statement of the ideas or systems that they either buy into or do not disrupt, right? And and so I find that to be really helpful in terms of my understanding of what sin is, right? That like when you 
call, when you see what sin is in somebody else's life or in your own, that's not to say, okay, this person is now worthless and irredeemable. And this is the only true thing about them. Right. So that really fits with my, with my frame, my Christian framework. And then the other thing, um, he's talking a lot. Um, and I've only read the first, the intro in the first two chapters, but in the, um, in the second chapter, he's talking a lot about what it means to be an American. And he's talking a lot about, you know, there's, there's really two main ways that racism shows up in our country. And, and one of them is this ideology of segregationism. So this idea that like, whatever you think about it, of, of people of another racial ethnic group, they, you think they're less than you. And so you want them to be separated and segregated away from you because you just don't think that they are safe or capable of sharing your life. But he says there's another um, equally um, powerfully racist um, uh, system out there of assimilationist. And so that's this idea that like a different ethnic group um, you think is inferior to you, but you think they they have potential. And so if they <laughs> um, could just could slash would just learn how to talk like you, walk like you, think like you, behave like you, then they would be just as good as you. And you would then be one of the good live, ones. <laughs> right. Then you could, they could live with you happily ever after in the world. And, and he's just sort of pointing out that a lot of us have been led to believe that um, assimilation is actually not racist. And he's saying like, no, that is mm. an equally racist ideology. This idea that one racial group's culture um, is superior to the other, or that certain universal positive attributes like hard work, truthfulness, intelligence belong exclusively to one racial group and not to others, right? So like this, when you peel back the layers, like on the surface, it looks like a kinder, gentler, like loving, generous thing. And it's actually incredibly destructively racist for everyone involved, like the people who are wounded by it, but also the people who, who, use it as a weapon against people and at the end of the second chapter he just is talking about how like black americans don't have to learn to be like white americans in order to be american right he's talking about like the double consciousness and you can be either black or american and he's saying like this is our this is a true experience and it's based on this assimilationist racism this idea that the real american is white and so you're always navigating the white gaze because that's the american gaze and then his last and he's just talking about to be an anti-racist is to conquer the assimilationist consciousness and the segregationist consciousness. So mm. to, to definitely conquer the idea that certain races are less than and need to be separated from, but also to conquer the idea that other races need to be just like you in order to be just as good as you. And both of those things you have to dismantle. And then he says in his last sentence, the white body no longer presents itself as the American body. The black body no longer strives to be the American body, knowing there is no such thing as the American body, only American bodies racialized by power. And what I thought, I mean, A is just, yes, this really fits my understanding of America. Um, but B, if you change the word American to body of Christ, it would be such a helpful way to get churches that are hoping to become healthy, holy, multi-ethnic communities, to look at their own assumptions about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ, particularly in terms of culture. So, I mean, like, obviously the revelation of God is, you know, is in scripture. And so these things are, are absolutes, but 
sometimes our understanding of what scripture means is very much shaped by our culture. And certainly the ways that we walk it out is shaped by our culture. And so to say, first of all, that we understand that if we are going to be a healthy and holy multi-ethnic community, um, then we are going to recognize that everybody who walks through the door is already a part of the body of Christ, right? And so people don't have to have some sort of orientation or onboarding process to learn the way to worship, the way to pray, the way to whatever, like we will learn from one another and we will shape and influence one another, but we do that in a holy way when we recognize that there is no one way um, and there is no body of Christ except for, you know, the only human body that is the body of Christ is Jesus of Nazareth. And the body of Christ that we participate in as the church is made up of all the bodies who have been saved and redeemed by Jesus. And there are certain universal um, attributes of, of Jesus that belong to every ethnic body and every cultural body. And there are certain flaws and failings and sins that are found and we are susceptible to in every ethnic body and in every racial body. But we have to understand is that, you know, what we are, our bodies, you know, welcomed into the body of Christ. And then that there are powers, the same powers and principalities that seek to divide and destroy the nation, seek to divide and destroy the body of Christ, the church. And we just need to, to know and be forewarned and not to always be looking for racism out there, but even in ourselves and recognizing that like the only way I know viscerally how to be a Christian is the way I've been a Christian, like for better or worse. And just recognize that like, this is my experience. And parts of it are transcendent because they come from the Holy Spirit and parts of it are not transcendent, that doesn't make them evil, but it also doesn't make them universal. And being able to just hold that truth and love is it's just a really powerful thing. So that's what I've been thinking about. Wow, that's good. Um, as you and I have talked about before, you know, it's it's fairly easy to get people of different skin under the same roof. Right. But so often in congregations, you have um a multi-ethnic people, that is people with different skin, but you have a monocultural church. Mm -hmm. And that is you'll have ethnic minorities trying to fit in to the majority culture. And that just happens a lot. And um, I think for way too long, denominations like ours would just celebrate that as a multicultural church. And, and there is something to celebrate yeah. there, but there's also much more work to be done to make it truly multicultural. And because the way that we come to know Christ can't be confined to our culture. I mean, right, like it needs to be yes. transcendent of our individual experiences and our individual bodies. And I think, you know, that is profoundly uncomfortable. It's good but it's profoundly uncomfortable. And I think being in a space where we love and are loved by people who are different than us and we're held together by the love of Christ, this love that Christ has for us and the love we have for Christ, it is uncomfortable because it is, because it is just bigger than our individual you know, embodied experience, which, I mean, the reality is, if this is only 
as true as it holds to our individual embodied experiences, then it's not real. Then it's not what we say it is, which is a way of communion with a transcendent God of time and space and creation. So I think like the thing that makes multi-ethnic churches so uncomfortable and difficult is the thing that makes them so edifying and beneficial. Well, and along with that, there's just been this um, trend in Western Christianity, especially to ask the question, who's right and who's wrong? Mm -hmm. Who's in, who's out? Whose Christianity is right? Give me chapter and verse. Whose Christianity is wrong? Give me chapter and verse. And so if I am now um, in a body where some people express this way, some people walk it out that way, then in, in our context of American Christianity, we bring a whole lot of insecurity. Like, okay, somebody's right and somebody is wrong. And it, we, our default is not, okay, this, this is just a mosaic of the body of Christ. No, our tendency is to say, okay, which way is right? Let's everybody adopt that way and we'll all do the same thing. We'll express the same way. And I have, and, during this, and we, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say during this uh, season of worshiping at home, one of the great joys I have had is to check out congregations uh, around the world, especially on the continent of Africa. And it's been so interesting uh, for me to watch, especially uh, Presbyterian churches, um, mm -hmm. mostly in, in Ghana and Nigeria. And um, it's so interesting that there, there are these African expressions that I see in also the, the Black church in America. I was like, oh, that that's probably where we got that. Mm -hmm. But in the context of American Christianity, some of those um, expressions are seen as inferior. Mm -hmm. that, that's emotionalism. That's not, mm -hmm. that's not true intellectual or correct Christianity. But um, yeah, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed um, watching, participating with that part of the body of Christ online. Yeah, and I just think that a particular danger of Reformed Christians and Presbyterian Christians in particular is, you know, we find our comfort and we find our security and we find our peace in our right understanding of God instead of in God, right? And so then we try to build our communities around, you know, that this right understanding of God instead of of God, which is ironic because our own theology tells us that God is transcendent and can't be fully known by humans. And so it's not that like, oh, it doesn't matter what we think about God or what we say about God. Like, of course it matters, but it also matters that we do this work in the context of like, we are all seeing through the glass dimly. And, and we recognize that God's ability to show up and be present and do transformation work in lives and hearts and communities is not limited by the right understanding of people. Like that's not- well, What's what's the saying uh, that's in um, other parts of the body of Christ, not in the reformed body, but I, I think maybe it comes out of Methodism, something like um, in the essentials, unity, and mm -hmm. all other things, charity. So I, 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 yeah. Right, that doesn't yeah. come from our, our, no. our 
sure part of the body, right? Mm-hmm. Because we're like, yeah. no, in all things, we must be the same. Well, and I think that like what is true is that God is God, right? Like what it, what is true is that God is absolute, right? So what is true is that there is an absolute, but our relationship with God is not based or contingent or limited on our understanding of the absolute. So we are going to grow Absolutely. as we renew our minds in Christ. We're going to mm-hmm. grow in that understanding. But I think sometimes, you know, we just, we just are like, and we've talked about this before. Like we get to a space where we're like, I'm grown enough. I'm close enough. I'm good enough. I don't want any more illusions stripped away. I don't need, you know, I'm good. And I'll just stay here and be the hall monitor for Jesus <laughs> instead of, allowing the Holy Spirit to draw me deeper into knowledge of God and knowledge of my own finite humanity and mind and limitedness and incredible vulnerability before the goodness of God. So anyway, I'm sorry. I'm stuck on the hall monitor for Jesus. That's good. That is too good. It's too good. Listen, I've been in a lot of meetings this week. (laughs) That's all I want to say about that. But I suppose, well, anyway, done. So <laughs> what are you preaching? <laughs> um, well, we are in a worship series on. I, let the record show. <laughs> no, you're being very good to me. <laughs> let the record show. I think I just saved you from a rant you you that did. later you would you say, mm, I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> you done. Let the record show. Okay. You're a good friend. Um, so we are in a worship series on the book of Psalms. And we've entitled it being human and kind of the um, big idea is just in the book of Psalms, um, you know, you find prayers that speak to the totality of the human experience at at all stages of um, faith journey and just the things that the parts of being human and the parts of faith that we celebrate and um, long for and also um, the parts of being human and the parts of the faith journey that we we hate and hope to avoid and reject and deny. Um, and this Sunday, we are doing Psalm 137, which is the one that starts by the waters of Babylon. We lay down and wept and um, mm. talks about remembering Jerusalem. And this is a, a psalm prayed by um, people who um, have survived the destruction of Israel and the destruction of Jerusalem and have been led away in exile and are living as captives in a foreign land. And um, so the Psalm is, you know, begins with just this huge um, lament and an expression of grief and despair and suffering, um, which is fine, <laughs> which I think those are prayers that like, you know, we feel very, very empowered and comfortable to pray those prayers. Um, but then the Psalm makes a turn and begins to pray um, that God will do evil towards um, towards their enemies, towards their captors, towards the people that have, have caused so much suffering upon them. And the last verse of the psalm says, um, you know, happy are they who will seize your infants and dash their heads against the rocks. And I mean, it's horrifying. And I think, you know, it's interesting because I people don't read the Bible. Um, people of faith don't read the Bible. And so often, you know, you'll run across um, like people's, uh, you know, grabbing certain quotes out of the Quran and just being like, oh, this is such a brutal, violent, just start, you know, and I'm like, you don't read the Bible because, I, you know, you, you can match it 
listen, listen. Um, yeah. I've, I've had to remind some people talking about the new Cardi B and Meg the Stallion song. I was like, have you read the song? I mean, have you like, I mean, th- they're not, they're not going on an ice cream soda date. I mean, th- this is real. Listen, when we were, and, and you were at our wedding and we read portions of that to each other uh, during the wedding ceremony, at first I had more verses and my wife said, I cannot read that in front of God and everybody. It's that is just, no, I can't. I mean, it's got some stuff in it. So yeah, you're right. People don't read the Bible. People do not read the Bible. It's I got will some say, stuff. since you brought this up, somehow I was talking to my oldest daughter who's 14 and she was asking me about the podcast and what we talked about last week. And, and I mentioned among other things that we had talked about that song and she was horrified. Like She was like, I can't believe that you know what that song is. I can't believe that you talked about that. Like that is the most embarrassing, inappropriate thing ever. And I wow. was like, okay. Like, anyway, so uh, I will delight I, in telling her that not only did we talk about it last week, but that now yes. you brought it up again. Um, so anyway. But, so I'm um, sorry I interrupted you. No, so I mean, I, I, we're talking about that last verse of the Bible where they are praying for the destruction of the infants of their enemies and um, just basically preaching about how hatred is part of the human experience and and how, you know, initially when we run across, I mean, actually a lot of the Psalms, but I mean, I think maybe that is one of the most disturbing verses in the entire Bible. And and honestly, we read, we run up against it and we are disgusted and we are embarrassed and we wonder you know, what in the world is this doing in a book that's supposed to be holy? You know, <laughs> how was this not edited out? And I, I think the big point of the sermon is just to say, hey, humans in general, but especially humans who are in the midst of seasons of great suffering and pain, um, hate is a way to carry that. And, and so we tend to think that like, people who love God and people who are loved God are never capable of hatred or violence. And it's just not true. And it's really important that we recognize that um, any horrific thing that anybody does is a horrific thing that we could do. Like there are no, it's not like there's different levels of humans where some people have the capacity to do terrible things and other people just don't have it in them. I mean, I think we use that language in our vernacular, but it's just, I don't think it, I don't think that understanding is borne out in scripture. And so um, really just saying to people, hey, we all need to understand our own vulnerability and susceptibility to hate. Um, and then when, not if, but when we find that our hearts are filled with hate towards someone else, we need to resist the temptation to lie about it, hide it, and 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 keep that as far away from you know the holy parts of our hearts as we can. We need to follow the wisdom of the psalmist who who prayed about their hate. Um, because I think when we bring our hate to God, then we bring our hatred into the light of who God is um, and, and, and make that those parts of ourselves vulnerable to the power of God. And so just, I mean, that is the big idea. And I just feel like it's especially timely because this pandemic is, is hard and long and people are really suffering and, and have run through um, their reserves of handling suffering. So we're just all more susceptible to hate um, everybody who hates has a reason and a story and a righteous reason. And 
And also we're heading into this election season and it's really heating up and the, and the stakes are really high. Mm. Um, and the damage that's being done is real and it matters to God, but the temptation to, to otherize and demonize and, and hate people is, is strong. And I feel like as the body of Christ, we need to be prepared, not just to be hated, but also to know what will you do when the enemy of your soul, you know, get, gets, snares you and, and your heart is filled with hate and that you need to not run those feelings away from God, but towards God. So that's what we're preaching about. That's good. Well, we'll see. (laughs) We'll see. I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. Uh, What about you? Well, you know, when you and I talked earlier in the day, um, I was struggling because, you know, I've spent this week really focusing on my child and his education Mm -hmm. and um, I haven't um, done a lot of prep work for sermon and it's Friday. And uh, so Mm -hmm. um, started uh, looking at some things I've done previously and all summer I have been focusing on encouraging people. And, you know, when you preach regularly, you know, sometimes you'll get a word. And I, I, I think you've had this happen. Like you'll, you'll get a word and you're excited about it and you'll preach it. And then in retrospect, you see it was a word for you and not really yeah. for the congregation, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then sometimes you'll get a word that's for the congregation and it's not really for you and it doesn't have much of an emotional impact on you, but it's, but you're faithful in giving it to the people and it just blows them away because it was for them. Mm -hmm. And then there's that place where you get a word and it's for you. It's like, it's for you first and then for the congregation. And I think I've been in that place all summer and we've, we've just been looking at, um, stories of encouragement, scriptures of encouragement, just to get people, um, um, just to help people stay hopeful in this season. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm going to continue to do that uh, this Sunday. I've been looking at Psalm 62, where um, David says, Barbie is knocking on the door of the porch where I'm recording this podcast. And who's knocking? I'm I'm almost done. Carrie is banging her Barbie's head. Oh, your little uh, one. Carrie is reenacting the ninth verse of Psalm 137 yeah. and bashing her Barbie's head against. Okay, that's the too door, funny. <laughs> which I'm not mad at, but it's loud, so I'm sorry. No anyway, worries. So you- no worries. Well, um, David in Psalm 62 is going through a rough time, uh, rebellion of his son Absalom. Absalom is yeah. killed in battle, um, and you know I, I'm. I'm going to tell the story about a time when I was really in a just really low emotional place. And I walked into a bookstore. This is when I was living in the Raleigh-Durham area. And I was walking out of the bookstore and there was this uh, framed picture of a guy uh, standing in the middle of a storm. And there was, there was a quote from Psalm 62 uh, truly, God is my rock, my salvation, and my fortress. I will never be shaken. Truly, my soul finds rest in God. And I remember I stood there by the front door of this bookstore, and I I started crying. I could not hold it in. And um, in the Psalm, David said he felt like um, a leaning fence 
or a tottering, mm-hmm. no, a leaning wall or a tottering fence. Like mm-hmm. if one more thing happens, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm out. Right. Yeah. And so I just want to speak to that. It's like, I know this pandemic has gone a long time. I know there's lots of heavy duty stuff you're seeing every night on the news. I know that your families are still dealing with cancer diagnoses and this Mm -hmm. and that and trouble in marriages. There's lots to deal with. But David in the Psalm, he just meditates on who God is and it it brings a joy and a delight and a strength to his soul. And so I think that's basically what we're going to talk about on on Sunday, just in this season where things are so hard. Just just think about the God we worship, the God we serve. Um, Yeah, I mean, as one who is about to preach on... um, baby violence. Can I just say that? Okay. You are not preaching a sermon on baby violence, but I get I mean, what you're saying. I'm just saying, I think that in this season of, if there's ever a season to encourage the saints, it's in this season. And so I think that's just really wise. Because I think earlier in the day we were talking, you're like, I feel like I'm just Joel Steen in this season. And I'm like, it's one thing if Sunday and I did Sunday say I'll, that, didn't I? You did say that. And I think it's, it's, it's problematic if that's all you ever say to the saints is, you know, you know, God's got you and God will see you through. But if that's, you know, because sometimes God has different messages to us. And I think, I mean, even in that Psalm 137, it's interesting. And it, this did not make it into the sermon, but like, you know, they're very, um, the psalmist is very angry at the, at the Babylonians for, for what they've done. But I mean, the witness of scripture is <laughs> it was the sin of the Israelites that brought this destruction bound upon their heads. Right. So, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just complicated. And a lot of times, what we have to do is bear witness to the truth that God always wants to encourage us. But sometimes what we need to be encouraged to do is face hard truths. Mm, um, but I just think there are seasons where people just need strength to hold on. And I do think that this is one of those seasons. And I, so I do think it's just really faithful discernment on your part. So I, for one, am glad that that's where you are. Well, thank you. And uh, we're done. We, we, we've come to the end of all we have to say and all that can be said out loud in a format that can come back to haunt us in 10 years. So thank you for listening to Two Pastors Have a Drink and Make a Podcast. And um, if you would like to hear the sermon that Yolanda is preaching this Sunday, um, you should go to Dorita's um, YouTube channel and find it right there. And if you want to hear Dorita's messages from several months ago, you should go to the Podbean website uh, and search for the Derided Church podcast, and you will find the sermons that Yolando preached in, I think, November, but he's adding them. And if you want to find out more about Derided Church, and you do, you should go to Google and, Dor- and Google Derided Presbyterian Church, Charlotte, North Carolina. That's D-E-R-I-T-A. Um, and, and get over to their website and find out what's going on. And if you want to know more about The Grove and our life together, you should go to our website, which is thegrovecharlotte.org um, or you can worship with us on Sunday morning by going to our Facebook page which is public and you can um, watch our videos and uh, and worship with us which would be great and if you want to hear messages from the Grove you can go to our podcast which is hosted by iTunes um, the Grove Church Podcast and that is more than you need to know about any of us so thank you for listening And uh, we will talk to you next week.